Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. We're going to do Psalm 103 tonight. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. I was wrestling with coming up with a title, and then I went, you don't need a title. The title's Psalm 103. So tonight we're going to cover that one because it is one of my favorite psalms. I got saved when I was 19. I was 19 in October. In March, I turned 20. And when I got saved, some of y'all have heard it before, I had a very interesting background. I had a very checkered past. Uh, I'd been down a hard road, and I'd done a lot of things that, that I definitely was not proud of. And so I kept bumping my head on trying to rectify how the, this perfect, holy God of the universe could step into a relationship with me. Because a few weeks before, I'd just been doing all this stuff that I knew was wrong. And now that I was saved, it was really intensified to me. I hadn't learned about repentance yet. All those things needed to be taught. And a brother in the Lord brought me this psalm at work one time. And so it's been in my soul for a long time. And he gave me this this psalm to help me rectify what was going on, the turmoil that was inside of me. So let me give you a little background. Psalm 103 was authored by King David. We know it because it says so in the word. It says the author was David. We know that it was probably later in his life because in verse five, it alludes to his youth being renewed. Well, if you already had your youth, you wouldn't need it renewed. So he was probably seasoned. He had, he had more salt than pepper in his hair. You know what I'm saying? And that, yeah, Pastor Moyne's giving me an amen. <laughs> and so that's the season of life that he was in. So we're looking at a king that remembered being a shepherd boy, taking care of sheep out in the pasture, protecting them from the lion and from the bear and the tigers, oh my. And he remembered leading them in and that being a job that was really, it, was, it wasn't even for second class citizens. It was not a good job to have. You were frowned upon if you were a shepherd He was anointed king as a teenager, but he couldn't take the throne because King Saul was still sitting on the throne. And so it was rightfully David's. The throne was given to him. He was anointed and the anointing left Saul and was put on him. And King David had to immediately run and go hide in caves. Not because he was afraid. If you read our text, he wasn't afraid of Saul. It was rather that Saul kept trying to kill him and he knew that if he was out there where Saul could get to him, he'd probably end up having to kill Saul in self-defense. And so he went and lived in caves when he was entitled to a palace because he wanted to honor the previous king. That king dies, he comes in, he comes in to be the leader of the nation of Israel. He unites the kingdom. Powerful things happen. Battles are being won. They're growing. He's prospering. And one day he makes a horrible decision. His army goes out to war. It's a season for war, it says. And he drops the ball, stays home when he should have been out with his men, stumbles in temptation, falls in adultery, then commits murder to hide the fact that he had committed adultery. His heart's tugged by sin. He realizes what he's done. He's repentant, which just means to turn around. It doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry, God. It means that you have a godly sorrow in your heart and you realize, man, I've been going the wrong way. I'm, I'm going this way now. God restores him. He comes back up. The nation of Israel is thriving. They're doing great. 
only to then be betrayed by his own son. And somewhere in that season is where Psalm 103 was probably written. So it's a psalm written by a seasoned king who understood wealth, prosperity. He understood repentance. He understood defeat. He understood betrayal. He understood it all. And it hit home to him. And so it's a beautiful psalm. It's really a psalm that, that summarizes uh, Luke 741, if you will. King David wrote this psalm from a parable. Obviously, the parable didn't exist yet. But this parable, Luke 741, in, in my mind, it sums up who David really was at this season in life. And Jesus is teaching this parable, and he says, hey, there's two guys. They go, they borrow money from a money lender. One of them borrows about 500 denarii, about a year and a half wages. Another one borrows about 50, and neither one of them can pay it back. So the money lender comes, and he goes, hey, I tell you what, I'm just going to forgive your debt. It's just forgiven. Don't worry about it. To both of them. And then Jesus says, hey, who do you think loved the money lender more? And Simon pops off and goes, oh, I know, I know, I know. I guess it's the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, you nailed it, Simon. That's exactly right. David wrote this psalm and he knew that he owed 500 denarii and couldn't pay it. And his savior forgave him. And that's where he writes this from. So it's a beautiful psalm. And before we jump into it, I want to pray really quick. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. We pray for open hearts, open minds, open spirits. We come against any distractions of yesterday or tomorrow. And Father, we pray that tonight you have your way in this place. Have your way in our hearts. We thank you for your presence and your anointing. And we thank you that we're going to leave here different, transformed, changed from how we were when we came in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in your notes, Psalm 103, verse one. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love. Circle or underline that word love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Circle or underline that as well. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love, catch that one too, for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust, the life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field, the wind blows over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love, catch that one, is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And then he ends it the same way he starts it. And praise the Lord, my 
so. I had you underline those four words for love. This is not in your notes. This is a freebie after I get a hit of water here. To make a point. We're going to hit some Hebrew in here tonight. And the reason we're going to do so is because sometimes our language is soft. It's not that our translation is bad. I've said this before. I'll say it a lot when I preach. Our translation is solid. It's that our language is not. So I'll give you an example. I had you pick that word love. I will turn and I will say, man, I love Pastor LeMoyne's homemade ice cream because it's really good. My freezer in heaven is stocked with Pastor LeMoyne's ice cream, not Bluebell. I assure you of that. But then I'll turn right around and I'll say, I love my wife. I love my baby girl, Chelsea. I love my son, Derek. I love my son, Noah. Or how about this? Man, Lord, I love you. Well, that word love can't mean the same thing. It's not possible. And unfortunately, when I use that word love, by saying it in all of those contexts, I didn't bring up the meaning of the word love when I used it in reference to Pastor LeMoyne's ice cream. Instead, I brought down the meaning of the word love in all those other circumstances. It got soft. And so in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's not that way. In the Hebrew and the Old Testament, the Greek, the New Testament, um, the, the adverbs and the adjectives and the nouns and the verbs, they're extremely specific. So you would have never said, I love ice cream in the Hebrew. It wouldn't have happened. For example, that word love that I just gave you. In the Hebrew, that's the, it's two words in Hebrew. It means covenant loyalty. God's love for you is shown in his covenant loyalty. No matter what you do, he honors his covenant. He's loyal to his covenant. And that's powerful. It means more when you fully wrap your brain around that. So we've got a few words that we're going to bump into in our text that are like that. His covenant is so powerful, as a matter of fact, that in Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, it says his covenant, his promise is so powerful that he swore it on his own name because that's the only name big enough to back it. And that's his love for you, his covenant loyalty. So when we bring these words up, it's not because I wanted to give you Hebrew and look fancy and smart. Man, I swing a hammer. <laughs> Come on. It's because I wanted you to get what it meant. So let's jump into verse one. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. So that word praise is the Hebrew word barach. It's in your notes. It's barach. And it means to adore with bended knee. That's what that word praise means when we see it. Here's, a, here's an illustration of it. When you see a man and he gets down like this in front of a gal that he fancies and he says, man, I want to submit my life to you, the rest of it if you'll have it, because I adore you. That's that word praise. Okay, so hang on to that. And then he says, my soul. We have to realize that our soul is the seat of our emotions. It's, it's our will. It's where we formulate happiness and sadness and anger and all of that stuff. That comes out of our, comes out of our soul. So we are a spirit. We have a soul. But we live in a body. Pastor Don did a great job two Sundays ago 
really explaining this. He said, he said, check it out. We are not natural beings having temporary spiritual experiences, but rather we are spiritual beings having temporary natural experiences. And that's what this is talking about. Okay. So we want to hang on to that. So since we're looking at it from that standpoint, Let's look at what he's really doing here. What's David doing when he says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's not singing a worship song. He's making a declaration. His spirit man is telling his soul through his mouth. You see all three parts of him right there. He's saying, soul, you will praise the Lord. You have no choice but to praise the Lord. I'm not going to allow you to do anything else. He was probably in a cold season in life is really what was going on. And he's saying, you're not staying here. You're not going to get stuck in this because your first point, we don't always feel like praising the Lord. I mean, can we just be real? We don't always feel like it. I mean, if you just had a fight with your spouse, you don't feel like, oh, praise the Lord, bless God, hallelujah. <laughs> if you find yourself in downtown Austin at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, you don't want to praise the Lord. You want to lay on the horn. I know what you want to do. I've been there. I've done it, as a matter of fact. And so sometimes we don't feel like praising the Lord, but we're going to see why it's important that in those moments, that's when we need to praise him the most. That's when our spirit needs to declare to our soul what it's gonna do. Because if we don't, then our soul will end up letting us be led by our emotions. And emotions aren't bad, God created them. Emotions are good things. We just have to keep them in the proper perspective. They gotta stay in the right place in our lives, otherwise they can uh, shipwreck us. Samson is a great example of that. Here's a man that was anointed to lead the people of Israel. He was a judge of Israel. Power strong. Nice long hair, looked like Fabio probably. But he would, not, he would not let the spirit lead him. Instead, his emotions led him. And he did all sorts of knuckleheaded stuff because his soul wanted to go do it or his flesh wanted to go do it. He went and got drunk. He wasn't supposed to do that. He'd get angry and kill people. He wasn't supposed to do that. He went and tried to hook up with women he was not supposed to hook up with because he was led by his soul his emotions, not his spirit. So letter A, the spirit must be our thermostat for life. I'm going to explain that. I'm going to break that down. The spirit has to be our thermostat for life. Uh, look at Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's a capital S. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides inside our spirit. That's where he is, okay? And in Galatians, it's saying, look, he's there. Utilize him. Allow him to lead your spirit because he's, he's standing opposed to what your flesh wants to do. And you can't just do whatever you want because it'll shipwreck you. That's what it's saying in Galatians. So what we have to do is we have to let our spirit be our thermostat. See, a thermostat does something really unique. A thermostat changes the environment. When it's cold, you turn up a thermostat, it gets hot. 
When it's hot, you turn down the thermostat, it gets cold. But when we allow our soul to be the thermostat, we are all over the place. Because emotions change. We're happy, we're sad, we're angry, we get in traffic. It just, and we bounce all over the place and we can't find that even place. We can't find that place where we're walking in what the Lord has and our spirit ends up being a barometer at that point. And a barometer, is a, it's a great tool, but it can't change anything. A barometer can tell you what temperature it is. A barometer can tell you if it's humid outside or not. But it can't do anything about it. And when the soul's in charge then that's what our spirit is. So we got to keep the spirit as our thermostat. Man, stop that clock. And sometimes we're in this place, and really, just like David, it's because our, we've gotten a little cold inside. So what do we do about that? Well, you got to turn up the thermostat through your spirit. Number two, you got to turn up the heat. You just got to turn up the heat. So we're going to use David's wisdom to learn how to turn up the thermostat. He said, praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. You see, his name is holy. That means set apart. The name of the Lord is holy. It's set apart from any other name because his name is who he is. My name's Rob, but that's really not who I am. I, am, I can be me apart from my name. But God is who his name is. And what you'll see is, is that back then, your name is who you were. We have to take the reference and when this was written... Think about it. Jacob. Jacob meant supplanter or deceiver. That's who Jacob was. But when God got hold of him, he changed his name to Israel, which means God strives. That's so much better than deceiver, isn't it? Or Abram. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means exalted father of multitudes. It's more powerful. It's who he was. So every time he heard his name, he heard, I'm an exalted father of multitudes. That's who I am. Or how about Simon? His name got changed to Peter, Petros, the rock. That's what his name got changed to. And so when we see God's name, then we see these different attributes, these different characteristics of who he is. So you'll read all through the Old Testament and you'll see Jehovah. That's what you'll see. And that's a title that's saying he is the Lord. And then after it, you'll see other names. You'll, and so look in your notes. So you'll see Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Your reference is out there. Our Jireh, the Lord who provides. Our Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd, the one who leads me out and takes care of those lions and those bears for me. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. He's your peace. Our Jehovah Sedek, my righteousness. And he's saying, when you praise that name, you begin to turn the heat up. So your life is going crazy. Everything seems like it's coming off the rails. You need some peace. Your soul's going nuts. It's telling you to, man, I don't know, maybe it's telling you to go to the bar. Let's be real. And your spirit intercedes and goes, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what we're going to do. Lord, I praise you because you are my peace. And in the midst of this storm, I don't care about the chaos. You are my peace and you are my shepherd. You're going to lead me through this. You lead me by still waters. You praise his name and the temperature begins to come up. It's what happens. And that's what King David is trying to get across to us here. There's something else that we can do 
when we need to turn up the heat. Let's look at our text. In verse two, it says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You got to remember, forget not all his benefits. We forget that there's a benefit package sometimes to being a child of the king. Sometimes we're running through the forest of life so fast and hitting every tree in it that we can't see it. We end up in there and we got two black eyes and we can't see anything and we're going, where's the forest? And we're tripping over every pine tree in it. And that same thing happens in the supernatural realm. You got to stop and remember the benefits when you're doing that. You got to stop and look at that package. Let's look at number one. He forgives all my sins. Man, that went on all by itself. That one is more than enough. That ought to get you so jazzed. He forgives all my sins. Not one sin, not that sin, all of it. That's powerful. If that didn't do it and you still need to crank it up a little bit, how about he heals all my diseases? He heals all my diseases. That word disease, let me let you in. Here's this sitting in your notes, freebie. That word in Hebrew has, has two meanings. It means disease, just like cancer, flu, meningitis, whatever, you name it. But it also means pain. It means pain. It means pain associated with disease, but it also just means pain. How about the pain of losing somebody near and dear to you? He heals that pain. How about depression? It hurts. He heals that pain. Woo, that's good enough, let's go home. He redeemed me from hell. I had you put me in all of those because make this personal. This is your declaration to your soul. He redeemed me from hell. He purchased me out of hell. Man, number four, crowns me with love and compassion. Remember that word love? That word crown is the Hebrew word atar. It doesn't mean a gold crown that sits upon your head. It means what that crown represented. Look at, look at the definition. To encircle or surround for protection or for attack. To circle or surround for protection. Think about that. He crowns me with covenant loyalty. He surrounds me with covenant loyalty to protect me. Ooh, that doesn't have anything to do with what you did. It's all about him. He honors his covenant. Mm. Number five, he satisfies me with good things. We may use the rest of the time right here. He satisfies me with good things. Let me read that in the Amplified. Verse five says, who satisfies your mouth, your necessity and desire at your personal age and situation. No matter what season of life you're in, no matter what you're facing, he satisfies you with good things. No matter where you find yourself. So that your youth renewed is like the eagles, strong, overcoming, soaring. Notice the text. It doesn't say that he gives you what you want. Sometimes what we want is a horrible thing. It says he satisfies with a good thing. Mm. It's a perfect example of that. If you're a single man and you're in the house, 
You're lonely. You want to fill that desire. The word says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. God said that. So that's a desire. That's, it's not a bad desire. But you begin to try to fill it apart from God. And so you run around from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And the further down the hole you go with those relationships, you know what I'm talking about. The deeper you get into that thing, it never, ever satisfies. It's never enough because it's not what God intended. Instead, you fill that loneliness with the only thing that you can, which is a relationship with the Most High God. And then Proverbs 18 says, then he brings you your good thing. My wife is my good thing. But he had to fill the loneliness hole. She couldn't fill it. Gals, it works the same for you. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you feel the pain of depression and we're trying to fill that depression with something apart from the creator. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's prescription drugs. I don't know. But whatever it is, it never satisfies. It's never, ever enough. One beer won't do it and 200's too many. It just, it never stops. It just keeps going. Think on this. Trying to satisfy desires without God leads to addiction. If we try to fill our desires with the wrong things, it will never be satisfied. That word means satiated. Think of it like a, I'm gonna say Chinese food buffet. I hope nobody gets offended. You're hungry, you step into a Chinese food buffet, you eat 47 egg rolls, 13 spring rolls, a huge bowl of Kung Pao, and you're like, oh man, I am stuffed, I am satisfied. You get up to pay the check, and by the time you get to the register, you're like, man, I am hungry. Can I hit round two? I don't know what happened. Because it wasn't satisfied. Does that make sense? It was never satisfied. Only God can satisfy with a good thing. Everything apart from it would just leave you continuing to try to stuff more of that bad thing in it. it leads to addiction. Hmm. Number six, gives justice to the oppressed. Six and seven in the Amplified. The Lord executes righteousness and justice not for me only, check that out, not for me only, not just for David, but for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways of righteousness and justice to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. When it says the oppressed, it's speaking about a very specific kind of oppression. It's oppression through extortion. The Egyptians held the Israelites in captivity through extortion. It was a show of force or a threat. If you leave, we're gonna get you. You better just buckle down and stay here. Or they beat him into submission. And God set him free. And David said, hey, look, that's an example for us. If you're walking in oppression, God serves some justice up on the oppressor. And now you can be free. That's what David said. It's right there in the text. Hmm. Maybe part of the oppression in your life if you're suffering from that is because you keep trying to satisfy it. You keep trying to fill it and take care of it with something that's not what God has for you. It's not his good thing. And tonight, if you'll let God fill that thing, you'll let him be your source, he'll break the oppression of addiction off your life. That's what he does. Now, all of those verses were about cranking up the heat. They were about getting our thermostat back up, getting our soul stirred back up, our spirit stirred back up, stirring up our spirit, man. 
so that we could walk in the blessing and we could enjoy our relationship with the Lord. But sometimes we're not praising him for an entirely different reason. Sometimes we're not praising him because we think he's mad at us. He don't want to be around us. As Pastor Don said so eloquently, it's all about the relationship. That's what it's about. So if you're wondering, well, then how could this perfect God of the universe be in relationship with me? Let's take a look at the how. Letter A, the how. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. This is picking up in verse eight. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you look at verse nine, it's actually a prophetic statement that was made by King David. It says that he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. That word accuse, that's one of those Hebrew words. I gave it to you in your notes. It's the Hebrew word. It looks like rib, so it's got to be a good thing because ribs are awesome. It's actually reeb, and it means to conduct a legal case. So it says God will not always conduct a legal case against you. You see, back then, you got to consider what was up. Jesus hadn't come yet. So sin had to be taken care of. It had to be dealt with. And the righteous judge, God, had to deal with it. It had nothing to do with him being angry and everything to do with him being righteous. He had to deal with sin. And then anger, it's actually the word wrath in the Hebrew. And he says, and man, his wrath isn't going to be around forever, not in regards to his children. He's talking about the courtroom of heaven is what it's talking about. Romans 5, 9 says, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Uh, I gave you a quote from the late D.E. Hebert. It says, wrath comes from the verb arago, meaning to team or to swell, and thus implies that it is not a sudden outburst, but rather referring to God's fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin. Against sin, not against people. It's against sin. That's what wrath is tied to. That's powerful. You got to hold on to that. A settled indignation. So here's what David was saying. He's saying there's coming a day when the ultimate judge, the only righteous judge of heaven, when the accuser of the brethren in Revelation, that's what it calls the enemy, Satan, when he comes before the righteous judge, there's coming a day where when he steps up and he goes, man, did you see what Rob did? Did you see that, Lord? He threw a fit in the parking lot out there because somebody scratched his car. Mm-mm-mm. He's saying there's coming a day where when that comes out, he's going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I got no idea. I don't see it. He was speaking of the coming Messiah. (sighs) That's big. And then I'm going to give you this really quick. Mm. Wish I had more time. He removed my sin is how he did it. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Notice the wording. Notice the verbiage. It doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. It says as far as the east is from the west. If you start at the North Pole and head south, you will hit the equator and you are now in the southern hemisphere going south. If you start at the South Pole and head north, you'll hit the equator. And once you cross it, you will now be in the northern hemisphere. North and south meet. King David didn't even know this back then. 
The Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. It says, as far as the east is from the west, if you head east and encircle the globe, or west and encircle the globe, they will never, ever intersect. If you're heading east, you're heading east. It's just that simple. If you're heading west, you're heading west. And that's how far he removed our sin from us. He didn't stick it in a filing cabinet in heaven for the enemy to be able to come in and grab it and pull it out. No, it says he removed it never to touch you again. So let it go. Some of you have been torturing and punishing yourselves, holding yourselves accountable for sin that Jesus already paid for. You just need to let it go. He's already forgotten it. And when you're down on your knees and you're going, oh Lord, I just can't believe I did this. I don't know why I did that again. He's going, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you, get up, rejoice. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.